text today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, and it is in chapter 5. We will read to, um, verses 13 through 16. Hear the word of the Lord. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. A while back, I heard a story about a mom and a little girl coming home from church, and the little girl was processing with her mom uh, the day's message. And so she said, Mom, the, the pastor said today that God is bigger than us. Is that true? And the mom said to the little girl, yes, God is bigger than us. And then the little girl, continuing to process that morning's message, says, Mom, the pastor also said that God is in us. Is that true? And she, to the degree that she could explain that to a little girl, said, yes, it's true that God is in us. And then she said this, well, if God is bigger than us and God is in us, wouldn't he show through? And that is actually the point of the text that we just read. God's life overwhelms our own when we surrender ourselves to Jesus as Savior and Lord. And the way this thing works is this. His life in us invariably shines through us. No ifs, no ands, no buts. Jesus is meant to live and shine through our lives. Now, we used to be keenly aware of this. If you grew up in church, you grew up singing this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Hind it under a bushel? No, I'm going to let it shine. But American evangelicalism has so ruined the gospel, and I mean that, ruined the gospel, making it about this sweet deal to get to heaven and nothing else, and has reduced the life the gospel calls for to nothing more than superficial morality, that this idea of Jesus being bigger than us and shining through us has been lost. So today in our continuing series to start 2023 called Living a 5S Year, which is focused on us helping our church family incorporate the five habits of a Jesus follower, surrender, sustain, sacrifice, shine, and share into our lives, we're going to focus our attention on the idea that a follower of Jesus will shine with his life, his love, and his life in our own. So, Thinking of the text that I just read, which is very familiar to all of us, why must we shine? Here's the first reason it's where we're going to spend almost all of our time today, okay? So understand that the normal rules for tracking a message are out the window, you know. You're not going to be able to tell how much time we have left based on the time we're going to spend here. We're going to spend most of our time here. Here it is. We must shine for the proof of our testimony. It's so basic, that idea, and so foundational 
to that little package of verses that we read a moment ago, it's easy to overlook. But this idea that shining is the proof of our testimony is, is, is the go on the monopoly board. If we do not grasp this point, then there is nothing at all to learn from the verses that I read to begin today's message. And the lesson is this. This is something that, frankly, I should have trademarked when I first said it years and years ago. It is very profound, so you may want to take notes. Here it is. Salt is salty, and light is lighty. Okay? Saltiness is the undeniable proof that salt is presence. Brilliance is the undeniable proof that light is presence. If you don't have saltiness, whatever you have, it isn't salt. And if you don't have brilliance, whatever you have, it isn't light. So above all else, we are being told that shining is the direct result of our followership of Jesus Christ. It is the nature of followers of Jesus to act as salt and to act as light. You can't separate that out. That's why it is one of the five key habits for following Jesus that we talk about here at Blue Valley. But what does it mean to be salty, and what does it mean to be lighty? In other words, what proof is it that we are looking for in our lives that that proves the testimony of following Jesus by shining? Well, if I could distill my biggest concern after decades of being a pastor for the American church, it would be that far too many people don't ever think about this, don't ever think about the proof of their lives. Or if they do, they aren't thinking rightly about this. So again, we'll spend the bulk of our time with this question this morning. These verses that we read are nestled in as the, and I hate to use this word, and you'll see why in a minute, in the introduction of what is known in Scripture as Christ's Sermon on the Mount. These verses at which we are looking this morning actually are the second part of that, and again, I hate to use this word, but we're going to do it, the second part of that introduction, and they are known as the similitudes because of the comparisons, the similarities drawn between what it means to be a follower of Jesus and common substances like salt and light. And the similitudes flow from what are known as the Beatitudes, the pronouncements of blessedness that begin with the Sermon on the Mount. So what are the Beatitudes? They are pronouncements of a distinctly different kind of life that Christ makes possible. So the similitudes and their call for good works are calling for the practical expression of the distinct kind of life that the Beatitudes uh, in the verses immediately prior are describing. I think that the tendency when we read the Beatitudes is to view them as really nothing more than pretty words, as, as a poetic and lyrical way of saying something nice but nothing of real importance. Really, we think of them in the church sometimes as nothing more than the precursor to the real meat of the Sermon on the Mount. But the real meat of what Christ wants to say in the Sermon on the Mount is the Beatitudes. They are not the intro to the Sermon on the Mount. They are the summary 
of the Sermon on the Mount. All he does for the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is apply these Beatitudes to different life circumstances to show us how this blessed life works. So if you nail the Beatitudes, then you nail what Christ is showing you about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now, from the time I've spent wrestling with the meaning of the Beatitudes over the years and reading what godly people have written about them, I've come to view the Beatitudes as something like a worldview checklist for what it means to shine as a follower of Jesus. Here's the checklist. First on that list was that these verses teach us that followers of Jesus shine with a supernatural perseverance. In other words, followers of Jesus just keep following Jesus. Running through the length and breadth of the Beatitudes is the concept of a future reward. I mean, you've probably already done it if you went back and looked at the concept uh, uh, that are talked about in the Beatitudes. You can see over and over again, he's promising the poor in spirit, the mourners, the meek, those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and the persecuted one thing that their efforts for and service of God would not go unrecognized and that those things that are generally despised in the world's eyes are the key to really living, to real life. There will come a day when the blinding glory of God will reveal that this life's losers were the real winners. And the endless riches of heaven will counterbalance, overwhelm whatever misery that we might have endured on this planet in our following of Jesus. So one part of what it means to shine with good works is to simply hang on to the promises of Jesus, that he will one day right everything that we feel like has been wronged and celebrate in unimaginable ways our following of him. Now, it may not seem very spiritual at all to, to keep on following Jesus because there's a future reward for doing so. I mean, we feel like there ought to be something more to it, but I assure you that that idea of following Jesus for a future reward is eminently biblical and thoroughly practical. In, in the book called The Jesus I Never Knew, Philip Yancey says, to believe in future rewards is to believe that the long arm of the Lord bends towards justice, to believe that one day the proud will be overthrown and the humble raised up and the hungry filled with good things. By staying at it, by persevering in our commitment to follow Jesus, we are proclaiming to the world that enduring all things for the sake of the gospel is a worthwhile way of living, that God is trustworthy in what he promises. And maybe by not retaliating for a wrong done to us or by not panicking at every bit of bad news and instead persevering in it because we know that, that God knows our situation and he will right the wrong, just maybe doing that, living that radically different from the world will be enough to tip the scales in the favor of our message in the mind of someone who's always been skeptical of it. You're different. Why? And we'll be able to shine with the message. The Beatitudes also teach us that followers of Jesus shine with supernatural priorities. In other words, we just live lives differently 
than the lives that we see around us. Prevailing wisdom in our world has really not shifted. I mean, it's that the strong will gain kingdoms, that it is a misery to mourn, that the meek will do nothing more than get run over. But Jesus says just the opposite. And here is what is important to not understand about what Jesus is saying in the Beatitudes. Jesus is not saying that these people are blessed in spite of their lowly experience. Listen to me. He's saying they're blessed because of it. They're blessed because of it. In our heads. What? How could that be blessed? Because while money, good looks, status, attaining the Johnson County, Kansas quality of life may bring success in our kind of world, they may actually be an impediment to gaining the real world that he has for us. Because like those in the church at Laodicea that we hear about in Revelation, anyone who has attained success in this world can say, I am rich, I have prospered, I have need of nothing. But those identified in the Beatitudes understand that what this world offers is an illusion. And so their life becomes consumed with something that lasts. We are freed to give our lives to a God who is telling us what is truly important. Listen to me. This is why it is so hard for people like us who live in wealth and privilege to follow Jesus. If we think we have already won, we don't need him. We just don't need him. We never get around to truly relying on him. A good reason why, if you will look around, cars remain in driveways when you come to church on Sunday morning is not because people are lazy. It's not because people are ideologically different than us in all the worldly ways that we want to point to. The reason people in Johnson County, Kansas, don't get out of bed and come to church to worship Christ Jesus on Sunday morning is because they believe they don't need him. Their life's good without him. As one of my neighbors, when I lived in Olathe, said years and years ago, I will come to your church when I need some advice. That's how they think. They don't think they need him. So those who follow Jesus shine with a different kind of understanding of what is important. They are not consumed by bank accounts and toys and Tony addresses like us, they may actually have some of those things. But at their core, they are poor, they are blind, and they are naked. And as such, they are unshackled from the pressures of this world and free to pursue the will of God. They can't be made to feel inadequate by what they don't have from the world, what they don't have materially, what they don't have vocationally. They are not consumed with projecting power and control while making sure that other people know how important they are. They live in a blessed simplicity and they have gained more from Jesus than this world can ever tempt them with. Followers of Jesus shine 
because they're different. They're different. And finally, the Beatitudes show us that followers of Jesus shine with this supernatural provision. You see, you mustn't think that the blessings of following Jesus are merely a future reality. The blessings of following Jesus are a present reality as well. In the process of losing your life, Jesus says, you really find it. I want you to stop and think about that. In the process of coming to Jesus, King Jesus, who, if you were here a few weeks ago, we talked about. In the process of coming to King Jesus in salvation, not going like this, hey, give me eternity in heaven and a mansion. But in the process of coming to Jesus and saying, here it is. Here's my vocation. Here's my family. Here are my resources on this earth. Here's my hope. Here's my security. Here it all is and giving it all away to him. You get back from him, not a consolation prize. You get real life. Jesus is telling us in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Beatitudes, that this is the way to live. This is the important thing. This kind of life, not pretty poetic words. It's a roadmap to how to, how to have true, blessed life. And because you know that is the case, because you know what you get in following Jesus, you exude a, a provision for well-being, for shalom in the Old Testament sense that the world knows not of. So, there you have kind of the philosophical framework for what it means to shine in following Jesus. You have a supernatural perseverance. You're just, you're just going to keep following Jesus because you know, you know where it ends. You have supernatural priorities. You're just different. You're wired differently than those who are around you. And you have a supernatural provision. You just have something from Jesus that centers you and gives you peace and hope that the world knows not of. And for the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is just giving us example after example after example of how good works shining from our life make a difference. What does he say? He says you can live free from anger. Think about the things that make us angry. Not winning. I want you to stop and think about it. Most of us are angered because we didn't win. We didn't win the argument, didn't win the election, didn't win the issue. We're angry. Why? Because something that was important, transcendently important, didn't go our way. So we're angry. What does this life look like? It means you're not capitite to the appetite or you're captive to the appetites of your flesh. Jesus says, if you live this way, you're free from wanting what someone else has, be it a partner or a resource. Marriages are strengthened. Truth is valued. Vengeance becomes unnecessary. I don't have to get back at you. I don't have to win. I don't have to show you you were wrong. I don't have to prove to you I was right. Vengeance is unnecessary. Your life becomes characterized by love. And listen, listen, modern American church, let me tell you one thing. What we have ignored, what we have ignored in the New Testament, 
is that the chief characteristic of being a follower of Jesus is your love. For us, the chief characteristic of being a follower of Jesus is righteous anger at those we're called to love. But I'm telling you, if you read it with just an uncritical eye, if you gave this to somebody who had never encountered Jesus before, if you gave them the New Testament, said, I want you to start in Matthew, I want you to end in Revelation, I want you to come back and I want you to tell me in one word what it means to be a follower of Jesus, they would tell you love. Even Paul, who is as cranky as anybody as you can find in the Bible, from our perspective, over and over and over again, says, those that follow Jesus, more than anything else, are characterized by love. Your life becomes characterized by worship of the one true God, where you are readily able to give yourself back to him freely and in worship. Do you you understand? I mean, we have these these worship conflicts that exist in our world. I mean, it's just like, well, it's not my kind of worship, and so I can't worship. Do you realize the theological arrogance of saying that? The arrogance to say, well, I can't worship that because the tune's not mine. I'm, I'm one of the least musical, practically musical persons that you would ever meet. I grew up in a radio station. I love music. I can't do any of it. I can't do any of it. And so when I'm singing frequently, you know the dominant thought of my mind when I'm singing? I'm singing because it's so hard and unnatural for me. It really is. I'm singing, and that's all I'm thinking about. So sometimes, you know what I have to do? I have to not sing, but I focus on the words. And those words, because that's how I'm wired, take me in worship. Do you realize the arrogance that you have to enact in your life to say, I can't worship because I don't like the tune. And that's not an old person's problem. That is across the board. I don't care how old you are. If you follow Jesus, your life becomes free of worry. Your life becomes authentic. Your life becomes prayerful. And that's just what the Sermon on the Mount says can happen. The list could go on and on, but you get the idea. Our lives, when we shine, have a different kind of character. And that character must and will manifest itself as the proof of our testimony that we really follow Jesus. If our lives are characterized by the same kinds of pettiness and fear and power plays, and mistreatment of others, and materialism, as the rest of Johnson County, and the rest of Kansas, and the rest of America, and the rest of the world, then how on earth can we with a straight face look someone dead in the eye and say, I follow Jesus? That's what these verses are telling us. Shining is the proof of our testimony. Now you know why we spent most of our time But there are two other things quickly I want to show you. We must shine with this different, distinct kind of life that proves that we follow Jesus for the welfare of others. But what does this mean? Jesus Jesus says that, that part of the purpose of good works is so that others may see them. They may 
not see them in order to puff ourselves up. In fact, he'll go on to criticize that later on the Sermon on the Mount. You're not to be seen so that you can say, look at me. Instead, you are to to be seen living this kind of way so that people see God through you and are helped by that picture. He, of course, first uses the example of salt. Salt's a vital commodity. The Roman official at the time said there's nothing more useful than two things, salt and sunshine. I like that because in English it alliterates. I can remember that. Pretty important. But its primary purpose in the ancient world was as a preservative. And this is the function of salt that is being alluded to in these verses. Jesus is calling us to a distinct kind of life, and that life will act as a preservative to the moral decay around us. How so? Because people will say, why are you, why do you taste different? And we call him to Jesus who transforms their lives. And then, of course, the example that he gives is that of light. The function of light is, this very difficult, is to give light. So why, Jesus asked, would you hide it under a basket? Light is there to give life to others. And so the obvious thing from shining is that our lives shine with a difference for the benefit of of those who need that kind of life, which is literally everyone around you. And then finally, obviously, we shine, as we've already alluded to here, for the glory of God. Now, glory is an interesting concept. I I don't think many of us fully understand. Glory in the biblical sense has less to do with aggrandizement and, and more to do with worth. When we give glory to God, we are doing more than running his name up a flagpole so that people will salute it. We are demonstrating his worth or his weight. As a matter of fact, uh, the word for glory in the Old Testament is related to the word for weight. So by living the kind of life that he makes possible, we show the world the worthy one who is the one to be followed. This is a blessing to those who see us live this kind of life, and it is a testimony to the glory of God. So, here's where the rubber meets the road. If, obviously in the next service, friends at school, coworkers, neighbors, children at home, look at your life, and they are not seeing something so radically different than the ones that they are living, they're never going to turn to God. Do you laugh at the same things that the world laughs at? Do you worry about the same things the world worries about? Do you pursue the same kind of things that the world pursues? Then they're seeing nothing. Salt has lost its seasoning. Light has been placed under a bushel. A follower of Jesus is someone whose life shines with his life in a sin-darkened world. And it's a non-negotiable. And now more than ever, the world needs to see it. So let me encourage you to incorporate this declaration that we associate with the shine habit at Blue Valley for a new year. I want you to, to declare this year, I will reflect the life of Christ when I or as I engage the cultures around us. And the primary culture around you is in your neighborhood. 
So let's think about our neighborhood, since that's been the focus of our weekend with the conference that we had yesterday. And if, by the way, you missed the conference yesterday, uh, Pastor Micah, Ridgeview Campus Pastor, has an interview on the podcast that will be released Tuesday morning. You'll be able to kind of hear a summary of it. Maybe I encourage you to buy the book. But we've thought about the, the neighborhood this weekend. So let's ask ourselves the question, how might we shine the life of Christ in our neighborhood's culture? How might you show a profound commitment to Christ in a way that is obvious and compelling to your neighbors? I'll tell you what the temptation will be. The temptation will be to shine in a superficial way. Remember, though, when Jesus challenges us to shine before men, he is commanding us to shine forth with a profound commitment to Christ that manifests itself in a different set of priorities and reveals a different blessing that is radically different from the world's pathway to blessing. And you cannot do that by putting a bumper sticker on your car or putting a sign in your yard or by painting a Bible verse on your door. The only way you can do that is to build relationships. And we were challenged yesterday morning in a profound way. We were challenged to write down the first names of the houses immediately contiguous to ours. And the average person, the average person can't do that. So how are we going to shine if we don't know the people around us? That's the challenge. If you want to say, I will shine the life of Christ as I engage the cultures around us, the first step is to engage the culture. The first step is to get out and get to know people, to go out and have conversations with them, to get to know them, to, as our person said yesterday, Dave Runyon, who led our conference, not to go out and say, hi, my name's Derek, what's your name? Okay, well, where are you going to go when you die? We don't do that. I mean, we have to get to the gospel. We're not saying you don't get to the gospel, but you just get to know them. You get to know what they do. You get to know uh, the, their kids' names. You invite them over for dinner. You get to know people at the root level. And as we get to know our neighbors on a deeper level, deep enough for them to see our lives lived for Jesus, then we are shining. So as the challenge was yesterday... If we're going to engage the culture around us in the coming year, the number one thing we're going to have to do, here's your takeaway. This is what you do, very practical. Learn your neighbor's names this year. Learn your neighbor's names and get to know them on a personal level and interact with them on a meal or something like that this year and learn what it means to shine. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.